Hello, it's Shahid here from The Creative Floor. Just a heads up that this podcast covers some stories of harassment that some listeners may find upsetting. On the request of Orge, we've also bleeped out some of the names mentioned in the original recording. And just lastly, a reminder that the next deadline for this year's award show is the 26th of March. Well, hello everyone. It's Shahid here from The Creative Floor. Welcome to another podcast. Very honoured to bring you today's guest. We have the Chief Creative Officer for Health at VML YNR, Orge Reichenberg. You right, Orge? Hello, good morning, Shahid. Good morning. Yeah, you're in uh, you New York. I am in New York, yes. And how is everything? Um, obviously, nothing will ever be quite the same after the last year, but, uh, but New York is New York, and uh, it'll come back. You're getting your vaccine soon? No, not soon enough. Um, I, 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 I tried to put myself on some lists, but uh, yeah. nothing's happening yet. Well, fingers crossed. I, fingers I'm, crossed. I'm too young and too healthy, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> the irony of that, eh? God. I eh? know. Trust me, I'm not young. <laughs> well, I just want to thank you for joining us today. We've been trying to organise this for ages, so I'm so happy that we finally managed to do this and um, just thank you for taking the time out because I know you're incredibly busy. It would be just really wonderful if it would be okay for you to share your journey from the very beginning of how it all started for you and how you how you end up at the top of the mountain at VML as Chief Creative Officer and and any insights that you can share with us would be fantastic for, for anyone who's going to be aspiring to be the next Orge in the next few years, I think they would really benefit from your your story, if that's okay. Yeah, that's very okay. I, I hope I can be helpful. You will be. <laughs> <laughs> you, well, I mean, we know, look, we, we met each other what, in 2019 at Cannes. Um, we were sort of both judging the, the health and wellness. And so, you know, we spent a, about a week together, I guess, didn't we? You know? Oh, I'm very, very close to... Uh, <laughs> There were like a whole huge group of us. You were our wonderful, illustrious president at the time of that jury. And there were, what, what 11 of us in a teeny-weeny room for days. <laughs> yes, when you could be in a teeny-tiny room for days <laughs> with people. <laughs> but, but we, you know, look, I got to know you a little bit, and I, I, was, I was really inspired by you. And, and so I think, yeah, your story will be inspiring, even if you don't think it is. It, it will be. So let's kick it off, Orge. Where would you like to start your story? Um, probably in the middle, because if I start at the beginning, this is going to be a very long podcast. <laughs> um, th- this September, uh, I would have been in the advertising business, specifically in New York, uh, for 40 years. That's four zero, not 14. Um, and so when I started the golden age of advertising over you know, the 60s and all of that, um, there were still plenty of people in the business when I first joined. And um, I loved hearing stories uh, from the old guys of what it used to be, where they would have these, you know, the three martini lunch. Trades uh, <laughs> would, would work from 9.30 in the morning to 12.30 go out for lunch, get completely pissed and uh, come back and be useless and decide to go home early. (laughs) And it was good enough because in those three hours you could do some great work. Nobody tested anything. Clients chose with their gut for the most part. There were certainly uh, no job numbers, no timesheets. You did the work. It went on air. You went home. 
when I joined, I was about 23 and um, I had the good fortune of having a commercial uh, nationally out there for Ban Rolong at the age of 23. And I was an art director then. Um, and I just switched over and my partner and I won, um, I think we, we made the finals of the, uh, the one show uh, straight out of the gate. And well, what so, was the, what was that agency that you won the the award at? That oh, that was yeah, that was um, Lawrence Charles and Free, later known as Lawrence Charles Free and Shevak. <laughs> later on, Shevak and Partners <laughs> um, was um, a, a a crazy creative and a crazy good creative. He turned me from an art director into a copywriter because I wrote a tagline for Alfa Romeo that um, apparently they couldn't sell a tagline to them for years. And I wrote Engineered to Excite, and that was the beginning of my copywriting career. Because had this thing, he liked to um, turn women um, who were art directors into writers. He had uh, a slew of us that he had done that with. He often married them too. <laughs> Not me. Not you. Not you. <laughs> not marry me. I was already married, and um, and there and there were some uh, whatever. In those days, sexual harassment was just de rigueur. That was just you were you were told that you were attractive. You were told you were sexy. You were told whatever. Because I was twenty three at the time. I, um, you know, you accept it. Um, it was just the norm. And. Uh, there was one time where a woman actually had, uh, a, I think it was, had sued her creative director for sexual harassment and won $6 million. And after the court case, the uh, head of at the time said to her, you'll never work in advertising again. And she said, I just won $6 million. I'm never going to work again. <laughs> that, was the, that was in the 80s. $6 million was real money. Wow. Um, and um, I had somebody lean over to me in a meeting, and I won't say who, and said to me, you, you, you wouldn't do that to me, would you? And I said, no, of course not. And um, for half a second, I thought, I probably should. But that would make me a horrible person, so I won't. I actually could have gotten out of advertising there and then. <laughs> um, so that that's the early days. And then there's other things. When I was at... We, um, we tripled the size of the business in three years. And there was a celebration. And uh, all the men were invited at the top, but not me. I found out about that celebration later on, um, where they all stood around congratulating themselves. And um, I was the only woman at that level, and I was not invited to that particular cocktail party. And um, you'd have thought after all these years, you don't really need another reminder that um, you're an outsider. The other thing I noticed was is that at that point, when I reached that level, um, I'd been in the business for 35 years. It took me 35 years to get there. And then there was a man promoted to the same position on the other side of the business. We'd been doing it for, I don't know, I guess 11 years. And um, a very, very, very talented person, by the way, who I admire enormously and a wonderful, wonderful creative person uh, and human being. 
Um, but it was just the numbers that were so outstanding that it would take me 35 years and um, a man 11. And so, you know, maybe he was that much more talented than I am. And maybe it took me that much longer to grow and be good enough. Or maybe it's because I'm a woman. We're never going to know. I would say that in all of those cases, I wish I had spoken up in some way and didn't. So my advice to women would be not that you have to be mean about it. It's not necessary. But I do think if you see that something you know is a little bit of an injustice, something that's not quite right, it's okay, I believe, to diplomatically and privately bring it up. And don't let people get away with it. But I always, I always did. I always did. Um, a long time ago, um, I was talking with uh, who was a fellow writer, and I don't know, the idea of compensation came up. And I found out that this guy who was three years behind me was making quite a bit more than me. What, he told you? He just told you what he was making? Yeah, we were discussing it and it came up. And uh, he said, I don't mind telling you, um, which is very unusual. And I was stunned. I didn't say anything. I said, no, that's great. You should be. You're, you're really talented. Um, and I, t I was going to tell him what I made and I chose to lie. I actually told him that I made, you know, slightly more than the number he gave me, but it wasn't true. I was making quite a bit less than him. Um, and did I speak up about that? No. I didn't say anything. Because, you know, you don't want to be thought of as a troublemaker, a problem creator. We're supposed to be a problem solver. So um, that never happened. Then another time at uh, the very beginnings of my time um, at there was a man who absolutely bullied me all the time. And he was terrifying. One day he locked me in a room and said I couldn't leave the room until I proved to him that um, I was not upset with him anymore for all the things that he had done. And not just to me, but also to a writer who worked for me. So how'd you get out of the room? Um, I had to keep trying to convince him. I came up with excuses. My husband's expecting me. Um, and again, it didn't even occur to me at the time that this was an unbelievable violation of human rights. Uh, and when I did eventually get out of the room, because I finally convinced him, but probably just suited him, maybe he was bored with the whole thing. And I was in there for nearly two hours, by the way, uh, which is a very long time when you're terrified. And by the way, this guy was six foot three and huge. When I told my boss about it, I got a phone call from HR saying that obviously I was a very overall woman. My boss had mentioned that I was a very, I was a drama queen. And she said to me, sounds like you need some time off, have some two weeks vacation. Um, as if there was something wrong with me, as if um, I was some crazy hysterical woman. And this guy had said to me, had threatened one of my writers, and if she didn't have the copy on his chair the next morning, he was going to take her head and smash it against a wall. How long ago was this? About. Wow. Quite recent then. Relatively. Oh, yeah. Well, this nonsense has been going on and on and on. Um, I would say that the treatment of women has changed dramatically since around that period of time.
let's dig into this a little bit because obviously this has gone on a, in a slightly different tangent but it's it's clearly important you know to to be sharing this i think you know you you said that from the beginning of your story that you always felt like an outsider in terms of some of the stories that you shared and and not speaking up is that because you still always felt like an outsider and your voice meant less no it wasn't that it's not that i i I felt like i was an outsider in the early days and then later on you know this became really my whole life i mean this is all i've ever done i've dedicated my life to this so it wasn't that no it was just um you don't want to make trouble. It's that simple. Maybe it's because, um, it may just be because of my upbringing. Uh, I am British, right? And, yeah. you know, uh, you don't complain. It's with upper lip. It's, you know, grin and bear it. Uh, don't make a fuss. Get on with it. And uh, on the on the positive side, the secret to my success was exactly that: head down, don't no look up, do the work, do the work, do the work. The one thing that's going around my head is like, how and why did you stick to it? Because the same reason we're all here. Because even though my story might sound um, a little harsher than the average, I would say that advertising is an incredibly stressful. Um, business to be in if you're a creative person but you do it because you want you can't help but be creative you would be creative if they didn't pay you if this is what you do you create you can't help it this is what your brain does it just has ideas constantly and it has to have a place to go and an outlet and advertising is the most um wonderful outlet it's a chance where you can actually see your ideas come to life um whether it's uh, online or it's in a uh, it's on video um it's a joy to have the ability to have your ideas in the world hopefully helping people or making them laugh or making them cry affecting them in some way that is potent stuff for a creative person and so um i am completely addicted and hooked clearly even though this business is so at times painful and um, distressing because we all have something else that I call imposter syndrome. <laughs> you know, one day I know that the advertising police will show up at my door and drag me away and say, you have no talent. And we, we finally have the proof and we're going to, you know, take you out of this business. You don't belong here. And that's after 40 years. I mean, it's, that's my own, you know, lunacy <laughs> or, or maybe a shared one. I think it's a shared one. I don't think, uh, <laughs> I, think yeah. I mean, I think most people feel like that, you know, it, it, there's nothing scarier, right? And a blank piece of paper and the, the brief coming in or there's a pitch or whatever. There's always that, that level of anxiety. Am I good enough? Can I do this? Can we do this? Let's talk a little bit then in terms of how you transitioned from you talked about the transition from an art director to a copywriter. Let's maybe focus a little bit, if, if it's okay, to maybe talk about how you went from transitioning to from a creative, a copywriter, into a creative director. And just maybe if we can yeah. pick up some, some of your insights and your steps. Well, um, I would say it was definitely do the work. Uh, don't get as involved with the emotional side of things, try to really just do the best work you possibly can. 
But then also don't be shy. I think you have to uh, toot your own horn a little bit. I think women don't do that enough. If you've done something good, you know, find a way to make sure people do know about it. Um, I find that gentlemen are really much better at tooting their own horn than women are. And I think we get left behind sometimes because of it. You know, we're so busy trying to just be humble. Once in a while, I think we need to um, forget the humble for a minute and find a way, maybe a subtle way, of letting people know, well, actually, no, I, I did do that. <laughs> I don't think it's criminal to actually um, say that you did that or that I was part of the team that did X. So that would be one piece of advice. The other is that my, my world began to change when I moved from um, regular advertising into health because there, do, there does seem to be a lot of women in health compared to regular advertising. There's, I think there's a difference there. Uh, women are drawn to health maybe because it's, it's more of a, um, a nurturing atmosphere, but that could even be a sexist thing to say to be quite honest. So I'm not sure that's true, but there are more women, I think, generally in health. And then of course, when I was at FCB, I had a wonderful boss, Rich Levy, and a great, great mentor, Dana Maiman, um, who probably is younger than me, but I thought of her as like my mum, you know. Um, and the two of them were beyond supportive and my life changed. All of a sudden I was absolutely not an outsider. I was treated absolutely as, you know, um, someone in the club. Whatever work I did, they, they showed for the first time I, I had some real appreciation and I wasn't used to that. Um, and the accolades started to come in slowly. We had some wonderful successes and I worked with wonderful people. And, you know, no success I've had has been on my own. It's always been a team. And that's partly where... I think the imposter syndrome comes from because we feel that if the whole idea wasn't ours and the execution of that idea wasn't all us, then is it really us? And as a creative director, your job is actually not to be the one who's done it all. Your, your job actually is to take other people's ideas, and make them better. And yet somehow to the creative director in their own heart, or at least in my own heart, I felt like, yeah, but it's their idea. And therefore, you know, what did I really do? And um, I, 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 I think that uh, is, it's a funny thing that I think all creative directors have to deal with. And of course, some ideas are yours. But then as a creative director, it would be wrong of you to mention that it is. <laughs> <laughs> There's no winning, really. So, um, but it's okay. It's fine. That's the job. And uh, uh, the... I've got to this point in my career now where now it's no longer about trying to get noticed. It's no longer about trying to see if I can move forward in my career. Now I want to give back. I'm at the end of my career now. I, I now know everything that I've gone through and I want to try to minimize the pain and the anguish that I felt uh, and have new creatives that are coming into this field and even the ones who are partway through their careers now. I want us to find ways to minimize the agony and help them do the best work of their lives. That's, that's what I think my job is now. How do you minimize the agony now for other people? 
by giving them a lot more love than we usually get from our bosses. I think love is underrated. I believe you must treat your people like family because you you have their backs, they have your back, you spend more time with them than with your family. And I think the love has to come through. If the creatives who work with you know that you care about them, know that you love them, have some feeling for them, um, and that when they do good work, that you do not hold back your praise. You need, in fact, to lavish it because in as much as I'll draw an illusion, you know how we in, in the um, all the campaigns have been done about girl power and how if you tell a young girl that she's incredibly beautiful, all she'll hear is that she's just somewhat attractive and okay looking. Same thing with the credit person. If you tell them the work is good, what they'll hear is it's passable. Most creatives, I think, are actually not naturally humble. And so if I think the work is good, I might even lay it on thicker. Because at the end of the day, I'm not really building up their ego. I'm just keeping them going. I think we need to feed the creative soul with love and praise far more than actually happens in real life. And the more you do it, the better their work gets because you start to give them confidence and you start to give them a bit of joy back because this can be joyless. Most of our ideas, let's face it, just die on the vine. And then testing will start to destroy what ideas even get through to that stage. Very rarely does testing ever improve the work. And yet most of us are forced to put our ideas into testing. And the pain of watching a good idea crumble in front of your eyes because of testing or in health because of medical, regulatory and legal or because of the FDA or OPDP. Um, that death by a thousand cuts is painful to watch and it hurts the creative person to their core. And so when it is good, lavish the praise, lavish the love. I don't even think you can overdo it. And I don't know of anyone that I've met in the business who's ever said that. You're the first person who's ever mentioned the word love. Crazy, huh? Because it's, it's, it's why we do the work. The only reason I've done it for 40 years with all of that pain I just described is the love of the act of creating with people. It's an act of love. Yeah. I told you this would be good, didn't I? Um. <laughs> <laughs> You're asking the right questions. I think I'm going to get in trouble for the first part of this interview, though. I'm probably going to get sued for libel. Um, we can beep. We can beep names. I'll, I'll send you a draft. And if you want me to beep any names, we can beep them. But what you said in the beginning, I, I was I was blown away, if I'm totally frank with you. I mean, look, I mean, I'm someone of colour. You know, I've gone through my experience, but, you know, it's always hard to hear somebody else's story. You know, it clearly hurt you. All those stories really, you know, they were heartfelt. I could feel the words, you know, they were extraordinarily powerful. But then what was really interesting was that this sort of abundance of generosity, of love. And I, as I said, like, I've never heard another creative director use such a strong word in terms of you've got to love your creatives. Again, I thought it came across as very heartfelt and I think it's a good 
a good lesson for a lot of us because I think we do forget how how hard and how painful the work is because I think when you are creative it is it is so personal you're always putting an element of yourself on the table it's like when you're cooking food for somebody and they hate it it hurts it's not like you're giving somebody <laughs> you know an excel <laughs> spreadsheet of numbers and they don't make sense it's like okay well I'll just you know go on the calculator again then so that's really cool when you're in those really dark moments so we're all creatives right and we all know that if you're happy you're going to create your best work I'm just really interested to know do you think in that environment you were still able when it was all dark and horrible to create your best work um I'm not sure I can think of a an example um of doing my best work in the darkest hours but I will tell you that even in the darkest hours, a creative person still has ideas. That's what makes us unique. You don't survive in this business unless you have that gift to always be able to come up with an idea. And, um, but I do think that this nonsense about people doing their best work under pressure, if the only pressure is a bit of time, then yes. But if the pressure is something else, um, a boss you're a little bit frightened of, a client you're intimidated by. If you have that kind of pressure, no, you're not going to do your best work at all. I think we have to understand the differences between time pressure, time crunch, when you're working on something exciting, but there's a time crunch. So if you make sure you get the work done. That's great. But when you've got someone whose thumb is pressing down on you emotionally, I don't think anyone's going to do their best work. They can do the worst work, but they'll do the work because they're a creative person. That's what they do. We're professionals. We are hired guns. We do what we have to do. Um, people who can't do that, they, they don't stay in advertising very long at all. But those of us who have, who have actually stood the test of time, we've proven we can take any amount of pain and we'll keep going for love of the creative process. Um, uh, I, I, I'm going to be crazy now, and, and I, I draw an analogy to the creative process as lovemaking. Uh, when I'm with a partner and the two of us um, are throwing an idea back and forth between us, and it gets better and better and better, and then finally you have the idea, and you put it down, and then you do it again and again, and then you have all of these ideas, and you take it to your boss, and that's your presentation, your ideas at that first creative review. Those are your babies. The two of you have basically had creative sex, and these are your babies. These are the output. And you couldn't have done it without that partner. And that's why I liken it unto, unto the sort of lovemaking uh, process. And uh, I have to say that when you're the creative director and you're alone, you don't get to do that as much. And that's the one thing I do miss as a creative director is having that partner. I had a great partner for 15 years and it really is a kind, we've all said this, it's like a marriage. Um, often, often called your office wife, your office husband or whatever you want to call them. Um, but it's more than that in creative. Uh, and that is a very unusual relationship that no one's ever really written a book about. They write about every other kind of love relationship, but no one ever writes about that. And that's uh, a special thing. I didn't answer your question, by the way. I just went off on this tangent. I can't Sorry. remember what the question was now. Darkest <laughs> moment. Yes. Um, 
yeah, were you able to create your best work in your darkest moments? And I would say no. I created my best work in my happiest moments. You must have been incredibly confident inside. I know you you were talking about earlier that, you know, you maybe didn't speak up enough and you just wanted to keep your head down. But there must have been inner belief to keep going. There must have been. And where did that come from? Oh, I think that's your upbringing. That's um, what you're born with. My father was a very, very courageous man. My father fought in the Second World War on the front lines. He was a private and he even volunteered to be a mine runner. A mine runner runs across a field to find mines with their own lives. And it has to be a volunteer act. And uh, my father did it um, at least three times that I know of. Uh, He was fearless, my father. He lost two friends running across a field who were blown up by mines who were running with him. And then after that, he felt that he was on borrowed time. And he said to me that he wasn't even afraid of death. Um, My father was fearless and he taught me to be fearless. Um, And that's why I think with every punch that I received, it was like, okay, I'll stand up again and keep moving. So you you were almost like the mine runner within the ad industry, I guess. But in the ad industry, yeah. Well, don't we uh, don't we sometimes have to uh, survive an explosion, um, which is your wonderful work being destroyed uh, over and over and over multiple times, um, or your work just never living, just never existing um, beyond showing it to the client it might just never have made it through those first meetings and you know in your heart that uh, there were there were times that you had ideas that if the client hadn't been smart enough to just run it the way it was they'd have made a fortune your your daughter is in the industry isn't she yes she is (laughs) so that's really mad right considering what you've just shared with us how does that happen? Um, I, I said to her, you've seen everything I've gone through and you've chosen advertising. And she said, for the same reason you did, Mum. You know, where else can you be really creative and actually earn a living at it? There aren't many outlets for people like us, you know. Um, I shouldn't speak for you or anyone else, really. So that was wrong of me just then. Um, but I, I am what I call an idiot savant. I'm really good at this. I'm not much good at anything else. Um, I mean, I could cook and I can sing. Okay. (laughs) Uh, That's it. You know, I can tell a good story maybe. Um, But my daughter is a phenomenal art director and she's sticking with it. I said, are you going to do the switch that I did? Because she can write really well. But she is a fabulous um, uh, social art director. She's uh, deeply immersed right now on TikTok. Um, she's going to become probably an expert in that scene. She's a great animator. She's a natural filmmaker. Um, I said to her, who taught you how to edit your own films, let alone come up with the idea for it? And she said, nobody. Oh, anyone can edit film. Anyone can edit sound. And I said, no, they can't. And it, it was my way of trying to convince her that she had a talent and a gift that was given to her. There you go. It was the old thing all over again. I've got no talent. Um, anyone can do what I do. 
I'm nothing, I'm an imposter, I suck. I mean, you should hear how my daughter talks about herself sometimes. I have to do with her what I would do with my own people. To remind her she's really talented and really good. And she thinks I'm just blowing smoke up her behind, but I'm not. And uh, every creative, whether it's my own kids or the ones who work with me, I have to constantly remind them that they're amazing. Because this, 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 this work will remind you that you're not. Um, and it's not true. It will tell you that you're not, not remind you. Um, was there a moment, was there a moment where you felt amazing? Yes. There have been. See, that's the heroin. That's the heroin that we, we get shot up with. I think winning any award, um, just being praised or recognised on occasion. I think when I got into the DTC Hall of Fame was a big one for me, not because of the award, but because you have to be nominated for that. And do you know I never found out who the group of people were that nominated me? And it is a group. And I want to try and find them and thank them because I don't know who it was. I went around phoning lots of people saying, I don't know if I had anything to do with it, but if you did, I want to thank you. And everyone kept saying, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. But who was it, you know? Um, so winning that because it was the opinion of a number of people meant everything to me uh, because these were my peers, my clients, and that was wonderful. That was a lovely, lovely feeling. Um, and, uh, that, that was sweet. Um, that, that, that healed a lot of the bits of pain that, you know, you go through. That was nice. Um, and then there's other times when it's not awards or anything. It's like, you know, you and me and everyone else sitting in a room, um, you know, with, uh, Easton from McCann and meeting new people. And we, we don't know each other really. But we're in a room and we speak exactly the same language. <laughs> yeah. we, we're loving the same things. Um, we have an instant bond as creatives. And that's thrilling. Really lovely. Really lovely. So, you, if, yeah, I mean, you've never lost the love for the industry and all the greatness that can come out of it. And that feels like that's the thing mm. that's been oh. holding you, holding you up throughout this whole journey? Longer than 40 years, because I decided at the age of seven, I was going to do this. Seven? seven. Yeah. Um, well, something like this. It, I was giggling and it was 10 o'clock at night and I was staying up way beyond my bedtime, reading Mad Magazine and laughing my ass off. <laughs> my mum comes in, who was a great storyteller and loved jokes and laughter. And she goes, what's making you laugh? You know, naughty girl, you shouldn't be up this late, but what's making you laugh? So I show her. And I'm actually reading to her the bits that made me laugh. And she goes, oh, they are clever, aren't they, these people? Um, you know, these writers and these commercial artists. I'd never heard the phrase commercial artist. I just knew artists. I asked her, what is that? She goes, well, they're artists who get paid to do this. And that was it. Light bulb. <laughs> you mean... I could have a job writing and drawing and get paid for it. Wow. And that was it. Because my exercise books at work 
at work, at school, were filled with stories that were all, um, they were storyboards. Picture with words underneath, picture with words underneath, picture every page. Well, it was story after story after story after story. Um, <laughs> and and that was my, my, my childhood. I couldn't wait to get into art school. Um, I went to St. Martin's in London and uh, I asked every teacher there, I want to have a job where I can be creative and get paid for it. What pays the best? <laughs> and they all said advertising. So I said, good, because that's what I want to do anyway. It was... I was completely focused, completely single-minded about this, and I've never wavered. And I know that makes me really weird. But it feels like it's the it, it's what's kept you going because there was so you know that's focus <laughs> seven onwards. <laughs> well, I suffer actually with with a uh, a disorder called hyperfocus, and. Um, it's to the frustration of a lot of people because when I'm looking at creative work, I forget that the rest of the world exists. Um, ask anyone who worked with me at McCann. I was late for every meeting because I was so focused. And if I was in a creative review, you couldn't drag me out of there. What happens? Is it like tunnel vision? What, what, what do you mean? What happens? Well, we're so we're so looking at let's say this idea, right? This idea is really great, and it's not there yet, right? But it's going to get there and it's really good. And we're all talking about it and we're making it better and it's really great and everyone's having a great time. At that moment, nothing else in the world exists. I have no home. I have no family. I have no other meeting to go to. There's this, this lovely <laughs> moment where we're looking at the work and loving the work and making the work better and creating and creating and creating. That's life. That's everything. And so, yeah, the next meeting, I don't know. I know it's there somewhere in the ether. It's the, it's the, it's the second hit of heroin, <laughs> isn't it? You know, so it's it, that, that one's a blessing and a curse, I guess. It's amazing. It's amazing. So what would you say to your younger self, the 23-year-old starting out, if you could go back in time? I would say um, speak up for yourself a bit sooner in a nice way. Toot your own horn sooner, but in a nice way. Yeah. But I wouldn't say <laughs> be a doctor. <laughs> no, or, you know, be a ballet teacher or a yoga instructor. I would still say go into advertising, but get ready. It's going to be tough. You feel very happy. Like, you know, when you're talking about what you love and, and where you are and, and how you're dealing with your teams, it feels happy. There was this great story I heard the other day. I don't know if you've heard it. It was, um, it was at Paul Arden's 60th birthday. Have you heard the story? No, I haven't. So he was at the agency and they were all, you know, had a bit of a celebration for him at Saatchi's. Saatchi. <laughs> And and apparently he he just said, look, I'd like you know I'm I'm sixty and uh, I'd like to share two things with you what I've learned so far about life. He said the first thing, he said that happiness is the best revenge. <laughs> and the second point, apparently he just said, I can't remember what the second thing was, which I think was intentional because it's all about the first point. <laughs> 
and yeah, I just it just sort I just it just popped into my head as you were talking because it almost felt like you you've you've sort of made it. Do you know what I mean? Like you, it feels maybe you're not happy. I don't know, but you certainly when you're talking about the things that you love, it certainly feels like you're yeah. happy. And yeah, I just thought I'd share that. Yeah, I am happy, and um, I'm actually very happy with my my new job, my uh, the new company that I'm with. It's almost like coming home because. Um, after my very, very, very first job, which I mentioned to you with, um, uh, you know, uh, doing this band roll on spot. Um, after that, I spent seven years at what I would call my first real agency, big agency experience, and it was YNR. And um, I've come home to Young Rubicam. It's now part of VML, and it's a brand new place, and it's completely new and fresh. Uh, with VML, it's um, very, very digital and high-tech at its core, which is exciting to me. Well, that's the other thing, too. Um, sorry, you asked adv- what advice would I give. Here's another piece of advice. Please embrace change. If you don't embrace change, and I mean really get off on it, like love it, enjoy it, you won't make it either because this business changes every five seconds, constantly changes. And the technology that we're dealing with, I happen to love technology. I love it. Mad about it. Bring it on. Um, I was a science fiction nut also as a kid, so I love this stuff. And I think that's helped a lot uh, because I, I, I'm i not only, uh, of course, I'm intimidated by some of it because, you know, I grew up in a very different world, but I still get off on it. And I think technology is here to stay and is helping us in every way possible. Sometimes it gets in the way, let's face it. Uh, It can be a pain in the ass, but uh, technology is, I think, especially in health, really going to show us the way. What I love about VML YNR is two things. It's that mix of technology and creativity and the people. VML YNR does work as a family. VML YNR does believe in love. And in fact, the whole DEI, the whole um, idea of diversity and inclusion isn't just a byword at this place. Since I joined, I can't tell you, we have talks and presentations and get-togethers and celebrations about this every week. It's all the time. It's not like once or twice a year. Um, We live it, breathe it, um, more than any agency I've ever been at. And uh, that's another reason I think I feel really happy here. Um, we're winning a lot of business. Um, in fact, we're, we're finding it hard to even, you know, keep up sometimes. We're winning so much stuff at the moment. So it's a fast-growing place. So that's always exciting. Um, but we had that at McCann too. When I joined McCann, we grew so quickly overnight, tripled the size of the place in like three and a half years. Just McCann Health, I'm not talking about the rest of McCann. The rest of McCann was also doing it, though. Oh, my God. In those days, McCann, um, when I was there in 2000, what was it, 2012, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, McCann was exploding. Um, what an exciting, fabulous time that was. That was thrilling. Uh, I think that may have been one of my happiest times ever. It was with Rob Riley at the helm Diamond leading it, CEO. McCann's offices were glorious to look at. Everything was done by like the top designers. We have this view of the Empire State Building. We were growing. Every, every we were literally owning Cairn at the time. 
Um, those years were the quintessential advertising Madison Avenue years that I will always look back on as um, one of the most fortunate times of my life to have been there then, to see it happen, to be a little tiny piece of, part of, of a part of that tiny, tiny piece. Um, and to see the excitement in the halls and the rooms that we would meet in, the excitement and the energy of McCann um, in those more recent years has been everything I dreamed of advertising to be. Uh, that, that, that's, that's going to be one of my happiest memories. Even though it's really tough, it was also really tough. <laughs> but it was exciting. It was exciting. Um, but I'm hoping that uh, where I am now, I mean, if you look at what female's doing globally right now, uh, some of the work is just extraordinary. We need to bring that to New York. Um, but they're doing some great work. In fact, it's funny, you know, when you and I were on the jury last year, some of the stuff I was voting for came out of BMI and R. I hadn't even heard of them yet. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, things like the tampon book, the last ever issue, the tooth fairy. Remember all of those? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. that was all VML Y and R work. Um, oh, it's great wow. stuff. So, um, it's, it's, oh, and also the five minute, I think it was the, the one minute law. Oh, also was that them? I might be wrong with that one, but I don't think I am. Uh, so it's it's an agency that's doing really great work. Um, anyway, so yeah, uh, I am <laughs> I am I am happy, and I'm happy doing what I'm doing. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, is there is there anything you want to cover off, Orj, before we conclude the podcast? I think I've covered pretty much everything. Uh, maybe what I'll do is just reiterate this thing. Um, I know that we're a business, but I honestly believe that if you show love to the people you work with, you'll not just get it back in loyalty and affection. You'll get it back through the work. I think that's an amazing place to conclude a pretty phenomenal story and podcast. So, Orch, I just want to thank you for taking the time to share that. I think think whoever's listening to this will get something out of it. Hopefully, specifically those who are starting out in their career will be massively inspired uh, by your story. And I just want to thank you and wish you all the very best in the new role and uh, really looking forward to seeing the work that comes out and you're going to be smashing the awards no doubt in the next year or so and I just want to thank you so thank you so much but Shahid I've, I've got to say this was an honour for me you are also let me tell you you are one of the greats in this business and it's an honour to even know you so thank you for this moment uh, and, and some time with us together take it easy and thank you so much and if you do enjoy listening to these podcasts please do subscribe, rate and share whenever possible. 